Inclusion Podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AABMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AABMC. On this episode of the podcast, I'm really, really excited. We're going to be talking about the interview process and specifically how to handle inappropriate interview questions. So now we know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that folks are not supposed to ask. It's actually illegal to ask certain kinds of questions during an interview. We know that. We do. We know that. But the reality is that there are still some folks that just ask dumb questions, dumb, inappropriate questions. And so as much as we'd love to change that behavior, we're going to try to focus on the behavior that we definitely can change. And that is how to react and respond and handle those situations for new grads, um, soon to be new grads, fourth years, new grads, and folks that are kind of re-entering the job hunt. And so on this episode, we're really going to kind of look at some of those kinds of issues, kind of pick apart what kinds of questions that really shouldn't be asked, how they get asked, and how folks can tease through the landmine of some of those things and maybe still be eligible to be hired at that particular job. So I'm really excited about this episode. This is a collaboration between AAVMC and VetCam. This is going to be the first of a number of shows that really kind of explore the intersection of diversity and the job hunt. So definitely be on the lookout for future episodes with that can in your podcast feed in the future. I'm really excited. We are recording this episode. Certainly, we're t- my guest and I are in two separate rooms in the same hotel filming at the Econ, AVMA's Econ Summit in Chicago, Illinois this week. Really excited to welcome Caitlin Geralds from the University of Florida to break down how to handle the interview gone wrong. How are you, Caitlin? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I love being a part of this and I'm really, I'm really excited for our topic today. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. So Caitlin, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Tell us a little bit about VetCam, what's your background and how you got on the other side of this screen. Wonderful, wonderful. So I am the career counselor. I have an official title, assistant director for career services at the University of Florida in their College of Veterinary Medicine. And I've been in that role for about three years now. So this is my job, which is great. I mean, I enjoy it. And so in this job, what I do is I work with employers that are interested in hiring our students and alumni from the DVM program. And I also work with our students and alumni that are looking for employment. So a lot of this interview coaching, trying to figure out what does my future position look like and how am I gonna get there? Prior to this role, I am actually from the Carolinas, so I have a master's in, in master's of education in career counseling, which is always a mouthful, and I'm also a certified career counselor and a global career development facilitator, which are fancy words for saying I've done a lot of trainings and I know most of what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm still learning. One of the most exciting parts of my job is I am the chair-elect for VetCan, which is the Veterinary Career Advisors Network. And that is a group of other people like myself that do career counseling at the Colleges of Veterinary Medicine associated with the AABMC. 
Um, and we're working to bring this knowledge to the forefront and really help educate veterinary students and employers on these topics because they're not as well known as they might be in other fields. Sure. Also, before this, I used to work in recruiting in HR, so I can also talk from that aspect as well, um, from the flip side of what these people are trying to get at and maybe how we can uh, address these issues without harming our chances of employment. That, awesome. It's a pretty long summary. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. And so actually, this isn't the first episode that I've done with VetCan. We did an episode, I believe, earlier this year with the two Amandas. Oh, <laughs> The two Amandas. And actually, that episode, it was a lot of fun. Um, we explore kind of what does it mean to look professional, right? And so, so it was uh, Amanda Fark from the Ohio State University and Amanda Bates. Yes. Awesome. From NC State. Great, fun podcast. We talked about hair. We talked about how white guys wear blue blazers and nobody else wears them. And we're not really sure kind of where that came from, but there's some weird kind of cultural thing happening there. But really kind of how people show up and what do they, how do they learn what it means to be professional and how do they move through the world kind of dressed the way that they do and how people read that information. So it was a really fun episode. So definitely scroll on back in your podcast feed to find that information. So actually it was episode 50 of the podcast. What does it mean to look professional? So be sure to check that out. Um, my previous episode with the Amandas from Vegan. <laughs> So, um, Caitlin, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in? So can you tell me what, a, what you think is a kind of typical interview for a veterinary job? What does that look like yeah. for folks that maybe have never gone on one before? Yeah, so a typical interview is going to be very atypical. So it's going to vary, obviously. And a lot of... Um, in a lot of my work, I joke that my answer is always, it depends, because it really does depend, but I'll give you some generics. So usually how the process works, if you are applying for a veterinary, a DVM associate type role, is you will get in contact with the organization somehow, and we really look at the interview from the start of your communication with that organization until the potential offer or the declination of an offer. And so you'll get in contact with them somehow that might be applying, it might be just networking, it might be doing an externship with them. And then after that first point of contact, you'll set up a phone call. And this will usually be a quick under 30 minute phone call with somebody general, usually a one-on-one. -on -one. And then let's say you both want to move forward, then you'll do a kind of a group phone call or maybe another additional virtual video interview call that's a little bit longer. And then from there, you're looking at visiting in person, most likely. And I would say some places with the way the market is right now want to skip the in-person visit. It is more helpful for you as the applicant to visit in person, just as helpful as it is for them to see you in person. So if any of these parts are skipped or if you want some of these parts, it's perfectly reasonable to ask for them. Um, so if they're trying to have you work there before you visit in person, you can ask to visit in person, and I would highly suggest that. But that's usually kind of the ramp up and process of a veterinary interview. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can imagine lots of reasons why you would actually kind of want to go see it, right? Yes. <laughs> 
you know, there's not too many veterinary jobs where you don't have to show up in person to do the job. So yeah. I'd say that should definitely be a part of your uh, consideration of the offer. <laughs> yeah. And also it would seem that you would get, you know, all of those nonverbal signs. You kind of see where things are. You can see how people are, um, things are laid out. You can kind of interact with folks that would be your colleagues, not just the ones who were maybe on the other end of the phone or the screen, but more texts and support staff and, and clinic staff in general, maybe even kind of see some some just kind of what that clientele looks like just kind of what the neighborhood looks like all of that kind of stuff yeah and those are all extremely important right especially for your well-being and your happiness once you there's few other places you'll go as often as work so to be in a good place that even you know making sure the practice has windows so you're not in this closed-in room all day or all the lights in the surgery room work and they're not burn out you know it's those little things that'll add up and really help you or hurt you in your first job. Yeah. Yeah. So what kinds of questions should applicants maybe ask ahead of this kind of process or throughout that process, kind of on the front end and kind of at various stages? Yeah. So there are so many questions you can ask, and I would encourage you to ask as many as you'd like to make sure that this is a good fit for you, especially with the way the market is right now. It is a job seekers market, so you can be a little choosy with what you're looking at, and questions can even help the practice or the clinic figure out what their plan is. So in veterinary medicine, there's some people that hire pretty often, and they're very good at hiring. So they know what works with candidates. They know how to woo you. They know how to bring you on. And then there's some people that don't hire that often. And they're not really sure what they're doing on their end either. So they may be Googling how to interview a veterinarian, just like you are. And so asking some of these questions. So some ones that I will always suggest that applicants ask are, you know, what's the timeline for my visit or what's the time expected for this call? Who's going to be there? Who am I expected to meet with? What about dress? You know, is there a certain dress preferred for the day? wouldn't necessarily ask that on a video, you know, go with professional business professional, <laughs> and ask any of your no-go questions. So if there are certain things that you're just not willing to compromise on, ask those during the interview or before the interview, before you spend time going to visit in person. Because a lot of times those in-person visits cost money. If the company is not helping with you, they cost your time. Don't tell the employers I said this, but they will waste your time and they will waste it happily because that means you're not talking to other employers. Uh, So make sure you're asking these questions that are important to you before they say, come visit for four days mm. and waste your entire Labor Day weekend with us, (laughs) which may or may not be a good thing for you, right? Got it. Got it. So, of course, we talked about kind of that there's maybe uh, the beginning or that kind of interim midpoint interview that may be remote, maybe a Zoom interview or Skype or, or what have you. What are some folks, what are some things that folks might consider when doing kind of an online interview? Yeah, so online interviews are inherently awkward, right? So <laughs> know that going in, they're really aren't specific to veterinary medicine. So there's a lot of great resources out there that work for a lot of different online interview platforms. My favorite tips are test it out beforehand. Please, please, please test it out beforehand. Make sure your dogs are in a different room or they're quiet. Like make sure the environment is quiet. 
we have rooms at the University of Florida that you can reserve that are quiet spaces. Do an interview in there. Don't try to do it from your bed in your room. <laughs> have your cat jump on and start pulling out the webcam. So really, a lot of it's about environment, you know, dressing up. And then one of the one of the biggest things that I always get is put a post-it note over your face. Don't keep looking at your face. It looks like you're looking down in the corner all the time. So as like minimizing distractions is the main thing that I'll see on there. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 we are starting to see kind of more commercials. I think that there was a, a commercial for like Amazon with the clothing piece and like, you know, you can dress from the waist up, right. But just don't stand up if you're going to <laughs> Don't say, oh, yeah, I have a piece of paper. Let me go run and get that. And then, like, you know, (laughs) your sweatpants come in soon. Yes. I would say don't risk it. Just lay down. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and and put the puppies and the kitties away. Typically, when I'm recording even the podcast at home, my dog routinely makes an appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Routinely makes an appearance. So, yeah, like, let's make sure that doesn't happen, right? During the interview, (laughs) during the interview. So let's kind of really start getting into the nitty gritty here. So what are some of the classic inappropriate questions that get asked during an interview? Yeah, so this is a question I get a lot from students and job seekers. And I try to differentiate it between inappropriate questions and then some people will say like legal questions and I'm not a lawyer, so do not ask me about the legality of things. But with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, it's a federal, I don't want to say it's a mandate, but a kind of a federal understanding that there are certain things that are protected from discrimination during the hiring process. It's different for employees of a company versus a potential employee, so somebody who's in the hiring process. And it historically has been very difficult to prove discrimination because you don't only have to prove that they asked, but you have to approve that affected their hiring decision. So legally, I have no clue there. Inappropriately, race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, age, if you're over 50 only, not younger or... Okay. Um, any of those things. Those are under the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So you'll see those Mm -hmm. annoying, not annoying, but just kind of like those boilerplate things at the end of a job ad. EEOC compliant, and we do all those things. So that's what that's referring to. And those things are really crossing the line if they're discriminating based off of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, However, inappropriate questions can happen all the time. Yeah, and sure. be on any variety of topics, especially in veterinary medicine, especially with generational differences and diversity. And so there are some classic ones that I hear from students, and I don't know um, if you wanted to chime in any that you've heard, but really they base around sex or gender identity, um, sexual orientation, uh, marital or family status, mm-hmm. and then age are mm-hmm. the ones that I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you would add any others to there. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, there are certainly a quick Google search will so show things like you can't ask about, yeah, you can't ask about gender, gender identity. You can't ask about sexuality and orientation, marital status, age, of course, but also religion, politics. Oh, that's a good one. 
which is a hot one right now, right? Uh, pregnancy and pregnancy plans, any future kids or um, that you, or kids that you have, you can't really ask about that kind of stuff. And disability. So you can't ask about disability kind of before hiring, unless, of course, there is a specific some specific things that um, physically that maybe or um, physically or cognitively that are really just inherent to the job. Right. And so there are certainly some questions around ability that can be asked, but it has to be very narrowly focused. Um, And once you've determined that the person can physically or cognitively do the work, then it really becomes an issue after a hiring decision has been made about how to accommodate that. But those are some of the, the big ones. Right. And so um, uh, so any idea how like some of these questions kind of get asked, like, so, so like, oh, like, oh, oh yeah. Like um, country of origin as well. Yes. That kind of stuff can't be asked either. And so things like, you know, so is this, so is Green Hill my married name? You know, is that, so is that your married name? And it seems very innocuous, right? It says, it's like, oh, is that your married name? Like, I mean, what? No, it's, it's just my name. <laughs> Just my name. Um, and so these things just sometimes it's just so casual, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a data point. Yes. And a lot of these things, they may not even be asked in the official interview, but let's say they're asked in the car on the way to dinner, or yeah. they're asked when you're getting a tour of the hospital, or they have, you know, you're talking to the technician and they say, Oh yeah, you know, I have to, I have kids down the street. Do you have children that would be attending school in the area mm-hmm. where it's, and I would also split that into two different things. There's one where it's coming from a place of genuine interest yeah. and wanting to know, and how do you kind of address those questions? And there's another where there's a meaning behind the question and mm-hmm. there's a reason that they're asking it other than to just genuinely get to know you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I know that, you know, I, I've worked for AAVMC for a long time, but there have been times when I was being recruited and, you know, and, and, you know, yeah, folks may have known that I was a parent, but instead of saying, Hey, how's your, you know, <laughs> your kid, they would say, we have great schools in the area. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yes. In case you're into that. <laughs> Yes. And I've, I've even seen some veterinary practitioners and heard of them where they talk about daycare and they talk about, you know, how they work their schedules for their associates without asking that question. Yeah. And I think that's a super inclusive and helpful way to address these topics for those that might be concerned about them or might be interested in knowing more about them. Yeah. I've definitely had my fair share of interviews too, where they, you know, who's, who would be coming to town with you? You know, asking about, do I have a partner or, you know, what are your plans in the next five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Yeah. While that may seem innocuous, it could lead to those types of conversations and being ready to address those and knowing how far and how much you're willing to disclose is really important. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times, again, a lot of times these are kind of innocent, even though, 
you know, I think that for a lot of folks, it's kind of widely known that there are just some stuff that some things that you're not supposed to ask about. Right. And so when we kind of tip over into that, sometimes there's questions behind the question. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what is it that that those employers that really kind of are asking some of these questions, not necessarily in the most innocent ways, Mm -hmm. um, but what is it that they're really trying to find out about this applicant? So it could be a whole variety of things. I mean, talking about the partner status or, you know, do you have children in the air or or would you be bringing children or do you care for anybody? Those are going to be looking more at, are you going to be taking time off work Mm -hmm. and are you going to be requiring a more um, flexible schedule or they're trying to figure out what might pull them away from this position. Then the five years or the partner one, they're also looking at turnover. That's their huge concern is, are you going to be leaving soon? Do you have a stable support system in the area? And some of those are asked in a positive manner, but the intention is still not, not in the best, not in the most appropriate terms. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, and I think that it's important for us to acknowledge that turnover costs, right? It's a big cost. And, you know, I don't think that people always appreciate just how much it costs. Typically, like it is the entire salary plus, right? Mm -hmm. You have a loss of productivity. It costs to, to recruit and to interview. You're losing productivity while you're going through that process. It's, Mm -hmm. it's for the employer. It's really, it's a really costly endeavor when you have to hire a new person because you lost someone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in fairness, I certainly understand their desire to say, okay, so are you going to hang around or am I going to be doing this again in 18 months? Yeah. Great. I think even to some of the other questions that you were mentioning, a lot of it, they're trying to see fit. And that's this very flexible word in HR and recruiting. We love to say, you know, thank you so much for interviewing. It just wasn't a great fit. And people don't really know what that means. But it's kind of a blanket statement for saying, are we a good match? Is this going to be a beneficial partnership for for our side, really? Because they're not allowing you to evaluate for your side yet. And so that's another one that we'll see that fit culture kind of questioning. Yeah. So, so you're interviewing, you're kind of sitting there, say we're on video, you haven't even gotten to that stage yet where I've been invited over Labor Day to... <laughs> to <laughs> about patients with somebody out in the field and someone asks an inappropriate question, inappropriate and or illegal question, mm-hmm. you know, during maybe that second interview. And, and so, you know, I've just asked you, so, oh, is, are you, are you married? Oh, 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 you're talking about your wife. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. There's like bells going, right? And so in that moment, the interviewee for, for the group that the population that you're working with are going to be kind of fourth year students. Mm-hmm. This might be the first time they found themselves in that particular situation. So there's a moment you're in the headlights. So what do you tell them to do? So, <laughs> How do you recover? <laughs> phrase, it depends, right? It really depends on your personality and the situation. So some people are comfortable disclosing. So I'd say know what you're comfortable with disclosing and share that if you're willing to, if you, and if you want to with your employer, some people take kind of the smart Alec route. I don't know if I can say the other way. The other word I'm talking. Smart A, smart A. Where you kind of give it a little bit back to them and, you know, banter a little bit and really stand your boundary mm-hmm. and showcase that boundary. 
And then there's other people who take the direct route and say, you know, I'm not comfortable discussing that, or I'm not sure how that fits into, you know, how I would be a good associate here, but I'm happy to talk more about palpating cows. Yeah. In my experience, palpating cows. So some people redirect in that sense. Taking that into your information bank and considering that, you know, why are they asking this? And is this going to be a good fit for me is important when you do kind of get set off. But it's, per, you know, take a minute, relax and decide what your personality or what you feel comfortable doing in that response. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, that take a moment is really, really important, Caitlin, because I think that we are so conditioned to be immediately responsive. Mm-hmm. We're living in an environment now where, you know, there's a text message, there's a tweet, there's and, and there's this kind of expectation of immediate response, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that I found in doing diversity work is that the pause is a very powerful tool, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's not okay, pause. <laughs> right. The pause is a very powerful tool, and that a pause that just gets to that inappropriate, to that not, not inappropriate, but that pause that gets to that just long enough to be uncomfortable gives everybody in the room or online an, a moment to reflect on what just happened. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I'll tell students, I'll say, leave them on read for a couple seconds. Like, send your read receipt and be like, yeah, you know, let's, let's you sit with that. And you see how that felt when you asked that question before responding. So I'm fully on the same page there. Yeah. I tell people, I'm like, sometimes, sometimes an inappropriate moment needs air, like, like wine needs to breathe. Right. (laughs) So let it come into full bloom. Let folks kind of have a moment to, to wonder why you're not responding. And then they kind of sometimes go, Oh, did I did I say something? Yes, yes, you said something. <laughs> yes, you said something. So, you know, do you ever, when you're coaching and counseling these particularly like fourth year students as they kind of get ready to go into this, do you ever kind of help them maybe even develop some kind of scripts? Like, here's some scripts just to kind of help you be prepared because, you know, inevitably something is going to happen. I'm not suggesting that all employers are just asking, you know, questions all willy-nilly, but, but you know, the same thing might never happen twice, but you're going to find yourself into in some, some wacky situations, right? So what about scripts? Yes. So there are a couple good scripts um, for a lot of our students with 80% being female at Florida. We get a lot of the... Um, wow, you're young, or, you know, wow, you know, where they see the ring, right? Oh, that's a very nice ring you have there. And so knowing what might be some of those topics that can come up can help you have those scripts. So with the age thing, we always talk about, you know, guess the vet school didn't age me as much as I thought it did, right? So coming up with those funny responses, some people are very straightforward and say, I'm old enough to have my DVM and over 300 surgeries under my belt, and I'm ready to, you know, pack some more under there. So knowing what you're, what you want to get across with your value there, uh, with the partner question, especially with um, veterinarians who have partners in the match program, whether that be internship or residency, those questions get asked a lot with turnover, and really what we focus on when I'm working with students and coaching them through this is. Instead of getting into the nitty-gritty details, taking a step back and doing a wider scope in your script. So 
You can say, you know, what brings you to the area? You can say, I'm looking for a practice and talk about what you're looking for in a practice and that you have support systems in the area. Not necessarily that your partner's going to be here for a year and then they're going to apply for somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of different scripts that we can do and some of them are more general as far as like, thank you for your interest. I avoid talking about my family when I'm on interviews, but I'm happy to talk more about this and really redirect them into the role and the position. Some people are straightforward and say, you know, I'm not really comfortable sharing that, but I'm happy to talk about this and really, you know, kind of like toddlers, you just redirect them to the top of the slide. <laughs> and sometimes it takes a couple redirections to do that, but really standing your ground is what we focus on in the scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, and some of them, it can even be, wow, you know, that's an interesting question. I wonder why you asked that. <laughs> why do you ask? Yes. And so that's a little bit more forward than the pause, right? So like, sure, I want sure. you to respond with why you chose to ask me this question. Um, <laughs> But it can be helpful for them to understand, you know, maybe they don't really realize why they were asking it, or maybe they know straight well and they know you shouldn't be asking it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it's it's really important, I think, to have, to think about some of this stuff early on, right? And particularly if you are a part of a marginalized identity or um, maybe married or parenting or whatever, you know, your your life situation is, I think it's really important to, to kind of think about some of these things ahead of time, which I think that everyone does, but thinking about it in the context of how will you handle this in the event that someone asks and, and so that you're not caught off guard. Yes. Right. And so having that script is really important and, and knowing what you feel comfortable with disclosing and not and not. I think that the other thing that that is inherent in this and certainly one that we talk about in diversity and inclusion a lot is that power imbalance. Right. You're looking for a job. They have the job. Right? And so there is a bit of an, um, a, a bias, you know, there where, you know, one party has a lot of that power. You if they offer you the job, then the power kind of comes back to you. But initially, you know, there's this kind of idea that basically they're looking at you, but you're looking at them as well. And, and how they perform and how they behave during this interview process will also tell you a lot about whether or not that's a place where you can thrive professionally. Yes. And I, especially with the way the job market is right now, some employers will try to offer you or have you come in early without you truly evaluating them all the way because of the imbalance. And that's where you have to really bring that to the forefront and say, no, 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 I need to interview you as well. And a lot of employers may try to put on their best face for you. So really digging down into how are they on a daily basis, right? And we've even had conversations with students who have pulled up to the clinic and seen a bunch of bumper stickers for certain political affiliations or just, you know, religious groups. And how does that fit with how you're going to fit in at that clinic? But seeing, do people want to bring them their whole selves into work? Are people more reserved at work? And what does that look like for you? And how do you want to fit into the culture of that clinic? Do people just come out and talk about the fight they had with their spouse that morning during, you know, the morning round tables or, during your interview. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is a family environment. That's what they meant on the ad when they said this, you know. 
are there some pretty consistent feuds? So really looking at, you know, is this a good fit for me throughout the whole process? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what about those disclosures when you decide, okay, yeah, I'm going to kind of navigate the little landmines that have cropped up and you strategically decide to make some disclosures, you know, what, what advice do you give candidates around that? I mean, some of it, of course, is, is your comfort level, what your boundaries look like and all of that. But, you know, how should uh, job seekers really kind of think about those disclosures? Yeah. So my first points of it, uh, suggestion with that is don't let the first time you try to disclose something be during the interview. So practice beforehand on how you would like to disclose it, how far you want to go, and then reflect on that and see how did that feel? Is that something I still feel comfortable sharing? Some people get in the interview and they were like, they were so nice. I just started telling them everything. And so preparation beforehand is really helpful. I was working with a student recently who had a physical disability and was, you was considering disclosing it as far as, you know, a challenge that she's overcome or something that she has had to work around or succeed in. And so we talked through, you know, what are the potential drawbacks an employer might see from this disclosure? Are you at a place where you're comfortable and confident in sharing this? Because sometimes stories are just too fresh, Yeah. uh, especially if it's, you know, you're moving back home after a big breakup, you know, and so... We can't get through that story without, you know, getting a little emotional. Right, so, no chilly willy tears. That's not the time for the chilly willy tears. And so talking through that with somebody and really picking it to see how does this come across to an employer? Is this something I still want to share? And, you know, if it's important to you, share it. Like that's, you know, yeah. if it's really important to you, especially if you have young kids that you're going to have to be taking care of daycare, if that's an important part of the job to you, that they were flexible with your daycare and pickup times, let that be known. And you guys can talk through that and see how flexible they are with that. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. Before. No, you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and so how should interviewees also think about these questions and the disclosure? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned, oh yeah, you know, I basically told all of my business because they were so cool. <laughs> we were totally vibing and the energy was great. And, and then, you know, they decided that they, oh no, this isn't a fit. So, but how do, how should interviewees kind of use that kind of what happens in an interview to assess for fit as well for them. Yeah. When you're looking at it and really you can't, so you set the boundary in the beginning. Most employers are going to ask you the question that says, tell me about yourself and why you're interested in this position. And it's a softball, right? So you can practice that and you can establish your personal boundaries there. So how far you want to go, you can always, you can't hurt yourself by refocusing the conversation on the position but if it does come to personal disclosures and, you know, your employer's talking a lot about religion or something, that's all helpful to keep in mind because that's going to be uh, consistent throughout your position. So don't think the interview is going to be different from your position. Usually people are in their best behavior during the interview. <laughs> so look at that. Um, and I've talked with a couple of students where at the end of the day, it's your decision. It's not somebody's offering you this and you have to accept it. It's your decision. And it's a tough decision to make. It's not like when you get accepted to vet school and you have all these options and you get them all at the same time and you can evaluate them. They all have the same measurements. 
this is going to be happening at different times. You're going to have different pros and cons with different places, but really looking into, you know, is this employer just laying it all out there or is this employer hiding some things that maybe I need to do a little bit more investigating or visiting to find out? Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a really important point about kind of that asynchronous timing that happens in the job hunt, right? So yeah, you might have two, three interviews in a week, but they're a hiring schedule or what kind of interview or where you are in the interview process might be really different. And so if you get an offer from someone who asked you all kinds of wacky questions and, you know, you, you disclosed and I mean, things were okay, but you still kind of feel a little icky about it. It's still weird, right? Because you feel like you have a bird in the hand and I'm like, okay, I got a job. Mm-hmm. So like I should take the job, right? <laughs> well, I don't they're going to be listening to this podcast, but right now, usually um, you can get a couple different job offers. So yeah. the market is very good, but knowing that that gut feeling is going to stay with you. And if this is a place that you're going to for 40 plus hours a week, it's not going to go away. And really thinking about, you know, how is this going to affect your daily wellness? Is this going to really impact you? I see a lot within the South being with religion of people who don't practice a certain type of religion and everybody else at the clinic may do that. And how are they still involved as a part of the culture and as a part of the team? And if you don't feel comfortable asking those questions during an interview, you're not going to feel comfortable when you're showing up 40 hours a week and having to go through those same things. So if there's some concern there, ask the question. You know, and a known is a lot better than an unknown to me. So know what their approach is, know what they're going to say, because there's certain things that are going to come out eventually. (laughs) So it can be more helpful to have that conversation before you've signed a contract or agreed to something. Yeah, sounds good. So as as we wrap up, Caitlin, you know, I think that that there was a point that you've made much earlier in our in our chat today about how employers, because I don't want to leave them out and I don't want to feel, I don't want them, um, employers that are listening, I do not want you to feel like we are dragging you. So there's something in here for you. Um, You know, how might they reframe some things, right? And so, you know, there are lots of these kinds of questions where, you know, I'm not suggesting that here's an alternative for you (laughs) Here's an alternative way for you to ask this wildly inappropriate or illegal question. But how then do you get the kind of meaningful information um, that can help decision making, but also maybe even signal to potential employees that, hey, this is this is a cool place. We're inclusive. We're, we value diversity. We're Maybe you are different, but we're cool with that. We're down with that. How can we reframe some of these conversations? of conversations? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. And my best response would be walk the walk. You shouldn't have to talk the talk, right? So if you're having to say these things to me about how inclusive you are, how accepting you are, and I'm not getting that vibe when I'm at your hospital, that may be a new step for you or something, but start practicing it now because your employees now will love it, right? And that'll be a good point. And also coming clean with the candidates and saying, you know, we've been lucky enough that we haven't had to hire a doctor in 10 years. Yeah. We're not really sure what, you know, how the hiring process works. We're not really sure what questions we can and can't ask. So if any questions we do ask, 
make you uncomfortable or you don't feel makes you feel awkward answering that's perfectly fine we won't take that at fault right and so kind of setting that standard of saying we're not experts at this that's kind of a good thing because people like it here right so you're kind of bragging on your clinic but really letting them know that and saying you know we want you to feel free to ask us as many questions as you want and really the vet students might like this but use open-ended questions so saying you know, our clinic is open on Saturdays. Would you have any issues working with Saturdays or would you be open to working Saturdays? And if somebody, you know, for religious or other reasons is not willing to work Saturdays, they can say, no, you know, I'm not, I can't work Saturdays in my schedule. Or if their concern is turnover, mm-hmm. put it honestly put a little bonus in there if they stay there 18 months and that'll yeah. keep them around maybe, but say like, We really try to avoid turnover. What are your long-term commitments or where do you see yourself in five years? And try to get at those main questions, knowing that nobody can predict the future. We all try, but things change and things happen. And if you have a good employee for a while, that's a huge win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in, in, you know, in the interest of kind of promoting inclusion, right, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of saying, oh, do you, you know, Caitlin, do you have kids? It's really okay to just not ask that question and say, hey, we've got great schools in the area. Here's kind of some information about where that is, or, you know, here's a really great neighborhood. Kids are able to play on the street there. Mm -hmm. That way you're not putting it on them to ask, like, (laughs) (laughs) what their child, you know, their child plans are, but you're making information available. You're signaling that, yeah, look, this is, we're really inclusive. We value parents. We know that that parents have to think about things outside of what goes on in this clinic. Hey, here's, you know, here are these churches or are there, is there a particular type of church that you might be looking for or, or not? Is there a particular type of community center that you're looking for or not? You know, just really kind of reframing it so that you're not necessarily saying, you know, are you, are you looking for the black church? <laughs> Lisa, or, you know, here's some churches that you might, you know, it's almost like, you know, sometimes in the hotels where you have like, here's, here's like 15 different options for you. Like making sure that there's kind of a welcome to this area. This is kind of how we get down here. This is what our culture is like. This is what our values are like. This is something that BMX last year, we talked, I I was a part of a, a workshop where we talked about, you know, every practice should have, every group should have like, what are your core values? They should be up on a wall where people can see it. And, you know, our diversity, equity, and inclusion, are they a part of your core value set at that place? Or do you think that everybody is going to be one type of person bringing in one kind of chihuahua and that is kind of what your practice does now if that's what your practice does cool apparently there's a market for it (laughs) but that might not be for everyone right yes and I think even you know opening that and saying what are you interested in getting involved in in the community and that really opens up the discussion to whatever is that main concern for that applicant and you know getting connected and being involved in an area is a huge portion of your wellness and your willingness to stay in that job. If you don't feel connected in your community, you're so much more likely to get up and leave when things aren't going the best. So yeah, those are all great points and really things that deserve an open and honest discussion where you can evaluate that before you accept an offer because there's 
there's some concern with accepting an offer and then finding those things out later, right? Sure, sure. And I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, those are, these are things that are not just good things to ask, but before you sign that contract, for me, I think that they're also the ethical thing to do is, is mm-hmm. to ask that everybody's kind of on that same page. And, and also for those employers, that type of information and that kind of framing of kind of, yeah, what, what would make you stay in an area? What kinds of things are you looking for in a community? Those are also like, that's where your recruiting information is mm-hmm. going to come from, right? If you really like this candidate and you're asking them what will make them, you know, what kinds of things in a, in a surrounding community are they looking for? Then you know which, what information you need to provide them <laughs> to make your practice, you know, the most attractive so that you can get that offer out and you can get that contract back. I'm sure they would love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Caitlin, this has been a great conversation. Any other parting advice for anybody who's listening? Talk to your advisors. Practice with your mentors. Interviewing is one of the few things that you can get better at by practicing. You can't make your resume better by practicing writing your resume, but interviewing, can re- you can really improve leaps and bounds by just some painful but helpful practice sessions. And so practice this. Make sure you're going in with some thought process and preparation beforehand. Too many times I see people just wing it and be themselves. And then it may not turn out in the in the results that they would like. So yes. rely on your team. Talk to your mentors. Talk to your career people. We're here to help. And really, we want you to have the most options that you can have. And that's our main goal is we want you to make the decisions. We don't want people making decisions for you. So that's great. Yeah. I like that. Like you, we want you to be in control of your decisions. We want you to be authentic, but prepared. (laughs) Don't just wing it. (laughs) Winging bad, winging bad. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. I really just have enjoyed this chat so much. I'm looking forward to talking to some of your colleagues in future episodes about the job hunt and different aspects of um, career advising. Um, Thank you and to to, and your colleagues at VetCan. And with that, we'll bring another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on air to a close. You can find the podcast on just about every podcast app, AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion. You can also find us, of course, on SoundCloud on our channel where you can find all 58, 59 episodes now. Oh, yeah, we've got a deep catalog. (laughs) Go on back there. Go digging in the archives like the old LPs. Yeah, that shows my age. No, whatever. <laughs> Sue me. Um, so be sure to also like our Facebook page. If you are on Facebook, I post lots of really great articles about what's going on in higher ed with respect to diversity and inclusion, higher ed broadly, but also um, academic veterinary medicine. But I also do a lot of posting about, about what's kind of going on, um, certainly in the job market as well with respect to DNI. So be sure to take a look at that. And with that, I will sign off from this episode. Again, Caitlin, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and we will see you next time. Bye.